Are you guys excited for this panel? Should I shut up? Should I give it over to David Cohen? Here's David Cohen. Thanks for coming back. Thank you. Thank you very much, Joel. The art world needs more of that, the little rabble-rousing. The, the art world is... Uh, almost everyone in the art world is a creator or an intellectual. Or a, you, you, most, art, most scenes like movies or even literature, you know, there's a, there's a general public that loves these things. I, always, I sense when I go around galleries and museums, not museums, galleries and events like this, that um, th there is no public. There's just, um, uh, almost everyone in this audience could be on this stage. And um, uh, what do we do when, when we're not on stage? But we go to panels like this and sit in the audience. So um, <laughs> that's what's cool about art. Um, and um, that's why we're the best looking audience, uh, Joel. Thank you, Joel. Thank you very much, Brooklyn Public Library, for your um, enlightened, consistent, generous, professional support of Art Critical's uh, events, the review panel. Fantastic. Um, who is here at the review panel for the first time? Anybody? A novice? Fantastic. Good. Welcome. Very nice to see you. For your benefit, and just to refresh the memories of our regulars and our stalwarts, the review panel is a forum where we have been out to see uh, current exhibitions, um, my guests, three different critics each time. We're going to look at uh, four current art exhibitions uh, around New York City. The format of the evening is that we've got a couple of videos that refresh our memories of what we've seen or give us a glimpse of what we're about to see if we haven't gotten there yet. Um, we're going to look at the first two of our exhibitions, which are of um, Anthony McCall and Byron Kim, and my guests and I will discuss those exhibitions. You, the audience, will then let off steam and share your comments and insights um, into what you saw, and then uh, we repeat the exercise. And afterwards, uh, we don't just go out into the cold night air, we slip across the road to number one Grand Army Plaza. That's that rather <coughs> plush, Richard Meyer-designed white apartment building um, on the other side of, uh, great, uh, of Eastern Parkway, uh, where the arts committee of that wonderful building uh, generously hosts us for an after party, um, some liquid refreshments and some snacks. How civilized is that? Uh, now, my great pleasure is to introduce uh, this evening's guests two of whom um, are regulars over the last 13 years of this um, series, and one uh, newcomer to the series. Um, let me start with him, the, uh, uh, Alex Bacon. Alex is a writer whose works are familiar to us, I'm sure, from uh, the Brooklyn Rail for many years. More recently, he's uh, become a regular contributor to Art Forum, and, and Alex is finishing up his uh, dissertation um, his PhD at Princeton, where he's working on the early paintings, the stripe paintings of Frank Stella. Svetlana Alpers, doyen of uh, art historians, um, she, uh, her, her breakthrough landmark book, which uh, is in some ways still uh, defining and very apropos to um, at least one of the shows that we'll be discussing this evening, um, the Art of Describing, uh, which uh, looks at uh, the, the still life conventions and innovations of the 17th century in Holland, followed, of course, by um, numerous penetrating uh, studies of artists as uh, uh, 
um, across the um, old master tradition, Rubens, Rembrandt, uh, Velazquez. Um, more recently, she's now, in fact, working on Walker Evans. Um, and as we'll discover, uh, she wrote the preface to a monograph on Catherine Murphy, one of the artists that we'll be discussing this evening. And my third guest is Ken Johnson, um, known for many years as one of the um, critics on the New York Times, um, a figure not shy of controversy. Um, uh, before the Times, he was a, um, a, a regular writer at um, Art in America magazine, and since taking retirement from the Times, uh, he's concentrated on book projects. His book, um, Are You Experienced?, is a study of the effects, the, the, the impact of uh, psychedelia on modern and contemporary art. And he's um, now at work on a, a monograph on the subject of humor. So expect, expect a few good jokes from Ken. And please <coughs> welcome our panel. <laughs> And I might just mention for the record, and those who don't know, I'm David Cohen. I'm the publisher and editor of artcritical.com and the founder of the moderator of the review panel. So now, um, panelists, we get to swivel around and uh, join the audience in watching our first video on Anthony McCall and Byron Kim. British-born Anthony McCall lives and works in New York City, and yet, despite growing international acclaim for his solid light works, his show of six projections at Pioneer Works in Red Hook marks his first institutional solo exhibition in New York of this series. McCall, who had a parallel career as an influential graphic designer, was involved in the 1970s with the experimental London Filmmakers Co-op. This group was interested in the physical aspect of film, exploring the boundaries between film and avant-garde art. McCall was entranced by the play of smoke in the projected light of the darkened cinema, an effect he now captures with the substitution of dry ice, powerfully projecting slowly moving abstract linear forms in darkened spaces. Photography has to distort the actuality of what the work looks like to get anywhere close to representing it. Furthermore, at least on the popular weekend evening of my visit, the social interaction with his work is transformative, something that gets lost in institutional photographs of works in pristine, empty space. Luckily, we have these photographs by Pamela Wong from Brooklyner, giving us a sense of the all-in selfie fest that the installation provides. Byron Kim is a painter who is no stranger to the programmatic and the serial. He makes sense of a much used and abused term in current discourse, conceptual painter. His longest ongoing serial project is sampled in James Cohan's show of over 100 of his weekly Sunday paintings, a group augmented during the run of the show by inevitable additions. Each 14 by 14 inch canvas is a rendering of a segment of the sky that Sunday with diaristic text inscribed into the paint with a date and location also noted. These entries can be poetic, prosaic, personal, political, determined it would seem by circumstances or mood. 
Here, for instance, is his contribution from March the 3rd, 2013 at 5.30 p.m. in La Jolla, California. Sometimes I feel like Bob Ross when I make these paintings. This morning, I finished the 10-day meditation course at 29 Palms. I'm sure my practice was strengthened because I'm so much less reactive to the pain of sitting a long, a long time. But it is a little disconcerting how difficult it is to translate this to real life and how quickly I have slipped back into normalcy. Wonderful. Ah, and since we've been watching the movie, the audience has filled up. That's what's, uh, <laughs> uh, or it might just be that the lights give us that, the lights give us that effect. Um, lovely. So, Anthony McCall, it feels a bit like we're in an Anthony McCall on the stage here, doesn't it, with the uh, strong dramatic lighting and the audience in chiaroscuro there. Um, but none of them seem to be taking selfies <laughs> yet. Um, and, and I must say, when I was wa wandering around, um, I, I neglected to send a nice stack of those postcards to Pioneer Works. I, as soon as I get them, I get, jump on my bike and zip around town and leave them with all the pretty receptionists and James Cohan and wherever, and just clean forgot to mail them to Pioneer Works. We could have hundreds of young people with selfies come to have, hear the discussion of the show that they were sunbathing in, luxuriating in, really enjoying their public art, transforming a industrial corner of Red Hook into Tate Modern uh, for a, uh, a few weeks. Um, Alex Bacon, as, as you are, I think, probably the leading authority on this stage in uh, Minimal Stripes, I think in terms, uh, it's only fair to bring you in as the first voice on um, Anthony McCall. Um, give us our bearings on McCall. What, what, was, what, was, what was exciting, what was moving about this experience for you? Well, I mean, to be honest, I found that, you know, I've experienced McCall's work before in other exhibitions. And this one, I was very excited to see, of course, because it's the, you know, as the press release will tell you, the, the largest show in New York in so many years, and to combine the vertical and horizontal projections. And yet I found that I don't know if I truly experienced it because of this sort of selfie situation that, that you were mentioning. Mm. Um, so I felt that my experience was hugely mediated by that experience, which was often waiting in vain that perhaps things would clear out a bit. I went on a Saturday um, afternoon, which was probably the worst time to go um, to try and have that experience. But, you know, I do think it's, it's interesting um, what Svetlana and I were talking about sort of in the back uh, before we came out, uh, you know, sort of mentioning neither of us had seen the work in the 70s, of course, but imagining the great difference between this sort of smoke-filled rooms. And I think that's very important. I mean, you mentioned the background of the London Filmmakers Co-op and the way that these works came out of um, film projection. And so I think it's very important to understand, especially now, that the works, we, you know, we, what we see <coughs> at Pioneer Works, we see something digitally projected, no sound element, no um, sort of flickering element. These things are almost sort of um, surreal in their, in their sort of perfectness, which again, I think feeds into the selfie sort of interest in them because they have this kind of otherworldly aspect in which I found that the most common thing people liked doing was to put their hands sort of through the light mm. and break the light, and then that became the subject of the photograph. Um, but then to imagine 
um, in the 70s, of course, you know, 73 being the beginning of, of the Solid Light works, what, what was happening is that, you know, these were almost performative in a sense, you know, McCall would invite people to, you know, a Soho loft in which a piece like um, <clears throat> Line Describing a Cone would be projected. And so it had a sort of temporality of a film screening in the sense that you would plan, you would arrive, it would have a duration of a set amount of time. And, you know, so there was this sort of community aspect which connects it, I think, to other sort of experimental art um, being made in Soho in that period. Um, and I think also, again, the, this, you know, it was not uh, dry ice, but cigarette smoke. So a sort of common, you know, ambient um, effect of that moment, which, you know, of course, when, when McCall had the invitation um, in the early 2000s after this long hiatus, you know, and of course he had to stop because in that sort of context, these works were, were unsustainable. You know, they weren't sellable. They were, again, ephemeral performative pieces, which, and he was experimenting also, you know, with performance in this moment as well. And so then to imagine, you know, how does he refashion them? So he's using dry ice. So again, the fixity of the work I think is important. They are in a, you know, you sort of summon minimalism in, in, um, your comments, and I think that in a certain sense, that's maybe a more recent aspect. Yeah. There's something to me that relates them Lost the rawness now to of their, of their original right. exactly. moment. Um, yeah, that's, that's a very, very important historical uh, context and uh, uh, to think where we are experiencing this, not just with the, the manners of the audience, but also the, the circumstances of uh, presentation, but also um, maybe a victim of success, Svetlana. <coughs> mm. is, that, is that what well, uh, you Well, I mean, we discussed before as... as well, I'm sure the, the, the pearls of wisdom are all there. But no, we discussed the past. I just, I, I had never... I, I've actually met the man and talked to him at various parties, but I'd never seen his work, so I don't have the advantage that you had. And I, I liked it, and for me, to like it is something, because I don't like normally light work. I can't stand James Turrell. I can't, st I don't like work that tries to lift you into another world. And that's not at all what McCall is doing. He's grounding you in this world as a kind of Vitruvian man imagined before his drawings, and they are all grounded. And the black around his works is not metaphorical. It is what's necessary so we can see the light. So that, and also I was persuaded, I'm a painting person, a determined painting person, and I was persuaded by his claim, come off it, I mean, not to me, but in his writings, that really an art which is in time, after all you look at paintings in time, I don't quite buy that argument, but he's saying, why not accept an art which is in time rather than insisting as a painting is, in a certain way, it's thing you're looking at out of time. And I found that all very persuasive. In the actual site out there in Red Hook, I preferred the horizontal ones much to the vertical ones. And maybe because, in fact, they are a bit more, and they were the first ones he did back then in the 70s. They are more like that, and I found the planes described by the light and also the nature of the drawings where the light hits the wall to be much more persuasive. In the vertical ones, I felt the light was kind of tethered in the drawings. It didn't seem to me to work as drawing as it did in the horizontal ones. But I 
kept thinking that the, and I, I like the fact that as, as McCall says, they're agnostic as to sight. There's nothing mystical about them. They can be put anywhere. So they're agnostic, and that's his words. They're agnostic as to sight. They are not black in any metaphorical way at all. And they have the, I mean, as, as he says, it's film, although that's disappeared. It's sculpture and it's drawing. To me, it reminded me a bit of Fred Sandback, who was an artist mm. I adore, and it had that kind, not Sarah, it's been compared to Sarah, but Sandback is the one, you know, those wonderful yes. strings, that kind of ephemeral thereness, which is very much, I think, the same thing that this art has. So I, I felt it was terrific, but with the questions that you enunciated about what's happened in our digital age, when the whole thing has become mechanized and not something that's kind of experimental, done for a few people in a loft. Yes. Do you think that uh, Ken, that it's um, uh, the work can sustain uh, the energy of its avant-garde origins, or is it um, is it in some way compromised by the institutional setting, or did the did actually the monumental um, and and communal aspect of it actually um, augment the experience for you? Yeah, I, I went on a Sunday, so I had a similar experience. It was very crowded. I mean, I've seen it. He's had a show at Sean Ken Kelly some years ago, and, and nobody was there. And that was seemed like you got this sense of of uh, being nowhere. I went on of. Thursday. It was super. There were five people oh. there. Oh, great! Oh, that's, <laughs> that's I recommend advice. it to you all. Don't go on the weekend. But I'm wondering, in the way that Alex initially talked about it, there's sort of this guessing. What's what's the experience supposed to be? And um, Svetlana is describing this kind of Quakerism, uh, um, but I wonder what the, the original uh, happenings were like. Uh, I mean, I see these in the context of someone like Stan Vanderbeek and, and other in the, the expanded cinema, where the idea of the expanded cinema was uh, was um, mapped onto the idea of expanded consciousness. Right. So there were artists right. who were trying to do like um, something that would get you tripping. No, he's something. focusing your consciousness. I absolutely, you might like tripping. I don't think McCall <laughs> is tripping. I absolutely disagree with you. You might like that, but he is focusing and controlling. It's extremely, in a sense, rational. That's what I like about it. And I think that's what he would say he's doing. Now you could find something else in it, Ken, but that's just your own private finding. Um. <laughs> well, yeah, no, I think I would. I, it seems like a the, that kind of work, that. which is to me sort of. I mean, one of the things is what it, how it, it sort of you feel this kind of aspiration that it falls short of, like like you know like it, they're sort of like old-fashioned screensavers or like uh, mm. like a kind of. Old-fashioned screensaver sounds like an oxymoron, but uh. <laughs> like a no, no, like a 3D. I was a 3D screensaver, but uh, I, I, uh, I mean, what what is the experience supposed to be? You're saying it's supposed to be like here and now, like it's minimalist in the sense that's it doesn't refer you to says. any any other thing. But how can you say that when you have this cone of light coming down from 
from the heavens no. describing no, this No, but science. originally it was a movie projector. I object to the thing from the, and he would never say the heavens. You were saying the heavens. This is earth-based <laughs> stuff. Well, the rafters at least. What? The rafters. But that's least. not heaven. Can we settle on? Well, okay, somewhere between. I mean, I think I, I'm arguing with Ken because I think he is wanting it to be something it distinctly is not. And I was surprised. Yes, but on the other hand, Svetlana, you are perhaps, uh, and, Kevin, and, and Alex as well, submitting to the intentional fallacy and also the original, the original fallacy, as it were, that where this work was first made for whom and what the artist wanted to do is, is our, our low Think of John spot. Cage. But what, 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 what were they doing? They were, they were smoking cigarettes. They were probably smoking weed. They were probably oh, yes. drinking beer. Maybe they were, I mean, wasn't it like to, to transport into some nope. altered Have state? Have you read what he's saying? No. He would never say altered that. Altered state of consciousness. Yeah. Yes, well, you maybe he's in denial. Maybe he's in denial. And in fact, the truth is more in what they were really doing than the fancy statement that he's concocted to go with it. So let's, let's try to pull ourselves away from that. I think it's fancy. I think it's trying to be fancy. clear. It's try- well, that's, that's a form of fancy in itself, isn't it not? Um, <laughs> well, without knowing exactly yes. what the difference is having since none of us have experienced them in both their states, it does nonetheless seem that there has been quite a big shift. And in a way, perhaps both people are right. And that's what we're reviewing now. Alex, what do you imagine? We can only actually review what... Please. We can only actually review what we're seeing. And we can only assume that as the artist is alive and well and has orchestrated this work, that he's happy with it. So let's... I mean, it's, it's fascinating to know mm-hmm. what culture it came out of, but I don't think we want to necessarily, especially as none of us experienced it, get too hooked on that. But well, I, can, I just wanted to ask Alex, because mm. uh, you, said, you said you couldn't quite get a, 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 a... You weren't sure what the experience was supposed to be because there were all these people mm. uh, interrupting it. But can, what do you imagine the experience is supposed to be? Well, I think that in these works, and I think quite differently than as they were sort of originally experienced, is that they are almost, I mean, when, when Svetlana said Sandback, that was actually a name that had come to my mind as well, because I thought about that sense of transgression that you feel, even though you know that there's nothing there, but when you cross a sandback. Why do you say transgression? I'm just, I'm not questioning, why do you use that word? In the idea that when, you know, that, for example, a sandback, and I think, again, this is true of the sort of, you know, volume that is being described by the light. So whether we're talking about the sort of, I don't know, pain of, you know, flat space that a, you know, sandback line, you know, of of yarn describes. So when you walk through it, as you can in many cases, there's this sort of, I don't know, this slight tinge of, right. of transgression where you feel that you've somehow done something you shouldn't. You're which breaking is to something interact. that's not to be broken. Exactly. Right. Like right. we think right. of art obviously as discreet and autonomous and separate from the world and thus we don't touch it. Right. Anyway, and I feel that some of this aspect is also present in these McCalls, which is to say that I think that unlike they probably were in the 70s, they, the way he's developed them in more recent years as we see in the show is much more as a sort of sculpture made out of light. Mm-hmm. And so when you, you can sort of cross the boundary, and there's that, I think, important aspect of boundary where there's what you see from outside, which is 
sort of almost more sculptural. And then there's that aspect which maybe engages the question of the legacy of minimalism and I think also is what sets him apart from the light artists. Mm -hmm. Because of course you have James Terrell projections in which you view Mm. what seems to be an object made out of light. But what you can't do in Terrell but you can in McCall is you can actually enter the space. So you can go inside and then I found that and maybe this is pseudo spiritual potentially is that if you go into for example one of the vertical pieces and then you look up you do have this sort of if you want it this sort of experience of i don't know maybe i could be transported i mean there is which i imagine he's developed more recently this idea exactly yes exactly there's a kind of primitive sci-fi quality to it yes but once you play with light um you, you you're in abbott suger's territory you can't not have the potential of a, of a mystical experience. I mean, I, I always find like, like in Terrell as well, that, that the, the light works always fall short of some, the only one that really works for me is the, the sky, sky room at PS1. Mm. Right, right. Uh, what about Doug Wheeler? I mean, Doug, he's, he's, he gives us something we can actually walk into and be in a whole environment that, um, that, that has that. Uh, but I think that I, I'm with Svetlana in, in wanting to say that um, McCall is is holding back from that whole California aesthetic, that whole immersive um, uh, experience, and that in a, in a way, uh, despite the uh, selfie brigade, that, that this is um, quite quite an aloof, discreet, um, uh, formal experience. Um, of course, the uh, institutions love any. Um, contemporary art that they can prove um, blurs boundaries between genres and mediums and uh, uh, the fact that McCall is is projected places it within the realm of cinema the fact that they're drawn lines puts it into drawing the fact that it's 3D and you can walk through it puts it into sculpture etc um, that's that's all well and good that's fine, but I think that um, Alex is right to um, ask uh, what is the experience we, we really are hoping to get from this? Um, how it's, it's high tech, but and it's, uh, a, it's become a very kind of mass um, con- communal sort of experience, but actually just seeing those lines moving around um, put me right back into sort of Dada experiments of the 19-teens when people like um, Hans Richter and, and, and countless others uh, were doing fun and fancy things and, and also Duchamp's spirals and things. Um, it, it's, it goes right back, doesn't it, to um, the early days of, of, of modernist experimentation. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, um, the, the, the forms are not exactly cutting edge. I mean, they are, they do cutting edge literally, but they are um, they're kind of um, maybe even a little bit retro, a little bit of a throwback to uh, the, the prehistory of abstraction, um, a comfortable zone to be in. Are these radical works? Are what? Are these radical works? Well, I think this is actually exactly the context in which McCall first you know, was invited to reimagine them, which was a show at the Whitney in 2001, called Into the Light, which was, I mean, again, I didn't see this show either, but I think it engaged, if it didn't go back <coughs> all the way to yeah. that, it was still yeah. about a longer tradition, mm-hmm. and what you're saying makes a lot of sense, and the, 
that, you know, that yes, it's absolutely related to that. Though, again, it seems that he's maybe pushed it, again, maybe away from film because, mm. again, the sound of the projector, but, all these things are going But what's interesting yeah. about talking about all these people, I didn't see it with a lot of people, thank God, there were only a few people, but that what McCall himself, all of his, the titles of the works mm-hmm. are separating people. He's not a group person. He thinks of people as not connecting. I and, uh, uh, what is it, I and you and uh, you and I, he titles works to keep people apart. He doesn't think that his works in their own, um, in their own patterns unite. Mm-hmm. He thinks of people as separate in the patterns that are described by his works, including the ones done by the top projection. I prefer facade, but including the top. So he himself, it, the works might go against him. I perfectly accept that, Ken. But his notion is that people are separate. Not that I will bring the whole world together in this light show. Mm. Not at all. And that's, uh, that's why I liked it. I mean, I'm a separate person, and I like that. <laughs> so that absolutely swung me forward, even though I would have been suspicious about the whole apparatus, and I found it hugely convincing, really movingly convincing in that. Uh, I wonder about the... <clears throat> You know, we've had so many years of digital uh, um, progress with projecting all kinds of stuff. Now we have 3D movies, and um, I, I had that feeling of it's not enough. It's too. It's not vivid enough to me. The thing is, it's. And then I guess the the, the answer to that is well, it's subtle. But I feel like there's something about the tech- technology itself that isn't quite making something happen for me that blows my mind. It seems very pleased with its own technology. And it's, a, it's an art that requires a massive space. And it's a, it's a very, um, well, it, it eats up a lot of but oxygen. But originally, it? Technology it was It said originally, it was we saw it at Red Hook. That's what it is. Okay. I mean, like, there's no color, so, but maybe... He said he once did things in color, it was a disaster. He's talked about that. It didn't work for him. But but I think, I mean, primitive technology can be very engaging. It it made me think of the the early video game Pong. Do you remember that? Mm -hmm. I I mean, how how absorbing it was to play that. And and in this, the the lines are moving around and you can watch it, (laughs) but I don't know, it's, it's... it's not, it, I just feel like it wants to be, or I want it to be something more intense than it is. Yeah, but the horizontal one seemed to me perfect. See, I think the horizontal one yes. was, mu- and that was Ur stuff, right? That's the yes. beginning was horizontal. Right. The so vertical you, what is you, what, how, we, like, what, we haven't talked about how the lines are constantly moving around. Does that, what is that? You well, mean on the wall in yeah. that projection? In all of them. The, the, none yeah, of them no, but the ones on the floor so the, so look the like tethering. The ones on the wall are different. I think the two are quite distinct. And the one on the wall, seemed, the horizontal one, seemed more sort of old-fashioned. And when you say, blow my mind, it didn't blow my mind. I don't think McCall thought of blowing anybody's mind. And I think the top projection one, so in a sense, want, doesn't what, get anywhere particularly. What? The horizontal one, I think, is quite superb. 
Is he just trying to do something cool, or does he have some high-minded cool. agenda that's no. kind of transcendental or philosophical? It's not or transcendental. Or it's philosophical. working something out. Or can oh, I no. just give yeah. you a multiple choice? You don't have to be transcendental. We get it. You're a materialist, but you could be <laughs> philosophical. It could be doing something other than being a cool light and sound show, light without sound sound show. You know, it's it's just um, my fear is that it's a little gimmicky, a little old-fashioned and ultimately uh, depends uh, for the uh, audience and for our discussion on a big budget and a big space, and that makes me a little suspicious. Yeah, I didn't have a sense. That I, I didn't think this is expensive art. What? But, really? Uh, is it? I don't know. Yeah, it's expensive art. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you have to take a space like that and blacken it out, and then you have to have special machines to make the dry eyes, and then you have to have these uh, well, it's very it used super to be powerful, cinemas, and now it's super museum. Pa- That's super a shame. Powerful, I agree. Uh, projectors. Yeah. You've, you've, um, it's it's a uh, it's a big budget affair, I think. The other thing is, Svetlana, there's Sandbach's uh, string sculptures depend on illusion. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's not like, well, this it's depends. not minimalist like, say, Carl Andre, where there's no illusion, it is what it is, or a big hunk of metal oh, by on, Richard Ken. Serra. The horizontal, but I the mean, I found... are actual, they're physical, they're there, and they're No, but that horizontal exactly plane of light, which is what you got in the horizontal room to the left at Red Hook, mm. was very much a plane like the implicit plane of a sandbag. That's why I thought mm. a sandbag, I know, right? and that's an illusion. Yeah, and that's that's not a fun, that's that takes it out of the realm of a purely material experience. Except the except that illusion is a material phenomenon, and they're not like slavish uh, disciples of Donald Judd who have to like sign on the dotted line. No illusion. I mean, that's it's that just comes with it's the not territory. airy fairy. It's extremely concrete. It's the most concrete because you're just seeing this plane of light. People were running into it. They weren't looking at it. That was even there were only four people. Hmm. They were running into the plane. And I felt like saying, you know, stop and look at the plane. Don't run into it. Look. Right. See, and I would say a problem might be between looking and interacting. And is that a problem in his notion of his works? It might be. He wants people to walk into them. I was quite happy standing back and looking. And what did you think? Because I do, your question that you brought up, Ken, that we haven't discussed, but the content, other than the light, etc., but the lines, mm. you know, Svetlana, I'm curious what you made when you were looking at the plane of light. What did you feel about the drawing element, which, of course, for him is the third very important component? Okay, I felt the drawing element worked okay horizontally. I didn't like it all vertically. But did you like it as composition, or did you feel it was just... I felt so-so about it. Sometimes I thought it was sort of crap, and then suddenly those lines would sort of work somewhere, and I thought, okay, you got something. But if you if you look at his at books of publications, he draws and draws and draws and draws. So the drawing is central to his sense of his... Enterprise. Right. Drawing, the, drawing, drawing, drawing. Though I find it, it's, for me, I've, I find I've, I focus less on the specificities, which doesn't mean one shouldn't, but I found myself less focused on the specificities of the line as composition, like the sort of literal lines that, well, they're not literal, but you know, the lines that are drawn on the ground or on the wall, and more about how they affected the sense of volume. Mm. Oh, no, I was and interested I, in his drawing. After all, he said it was cinema drawing and sculpture. I mean, mm, he talks right. about those three 
aspects mm. of his enterprise from the beginning. But the, the line, uh, we can't, I think it's um, impossible to consider the line completely independently well, of the light that, that causes the, li <laughs> the lines to happen and to move, which is projected, and the projection is volumetric. It is a three-dimensional yeah, So phenomenon. you have this relationship between two and three dimensions. Right. Yes. It's like right. flat land. So again, yes. that's, to me, that has metaphorical implications. Plato's cave and yeah and I don't think I'm with Ken on this because I, I don't think you can project like that and have a kind of dusty myst mystical, mystical kind of um, uh, fluff going on and and being uh, light and dark and and uh, not be in a some kind of um, theatrical or metaphorical space <laughs> but let us um, um, move from the atmospherics of uh, uh, this projected induced atmospherics of Anthony McCall and turn our attention to um, observed atmospherics once a week of our Sunday painter at James Cohan Gallery, uh, Byron Kim. Um, well, we talk about McCall skillfully or, or um, uh, causally dealing with these distinctions, these boundaries, sculpture, drawing, a projection, film. Um, with Byron Kim, I think it's very clear we have anything but a purist painter, isn't it? That um, we, we have somebody here um, who is um, kind of having his cake and eating it, the conceptual kind of painting, uh, a painting a week, uh, the most traditional amateur subject to look up at the sky and paint the clouds, um, but a, a little bit of a, a holy fool act of, um, of, of undertaking that subject. Uh, these are certainly not John Constable um, cloud studies. Uh, this is a little bit of a conceptual joke, isn't it, I wonder? Does anybody um, want to correct me right away in misreading uh, the endeavor as being, in, at some level, a joke about painting? Well, in, in, the, in that sense, it, I mean, the, the thing that made his career was the, the grid of, how, I don't know how many square, squares that were, each one was, the, quote, a portrait, of yes, a, of a person yes. based of their skin tone. So it was collapsing or making a joke about, first, you know, the idea that skin tone tells you anything about, go, tells you much about somebody. <clears throat> mm -hmm. And making and, and conflating that with minimalism. Um, so that made, that, I, I think that was a career making move and it got huge traction because mm -hmm. of you know the the rise of identity politics in the yes. 90s and and so now so because of that he has he has a big name and and he can show us his sunday painting paintings and, ah and but the sunday paintings are surely me, like reading i read i i, I looked at that it. show the first time and i'm like I'm, before this review panel and, and i yes. thought i'm not going to read all that but then i read them all Ah, yes, because we're paying you. And I found them sort of mild, <laughs> I found them mildly interesting. Yeah. But, but, and then as, then I, reading through, it's like, 
this is this is the career this is an academic career that's Acad all about yes. flying here and there and meeting up with various movers and shakers at a certain academic right. level of right. being well, on meditation in between yeah yep. it reveals nothing about you know about the person here, it's like here. as a diary it's it's it might be an interesting historic artifact 100 years from now but um mm. no, I think you know. yeah. he's absolutely right i was going to say i thought it was empty that show and i was going to say a vast emptiness because there are rooms and rooms you have to go through reading everything but actually it's a very small emptiness it's empty exactly. as painting yeah. it's empty as conception it's empty as words and academic is exactly what i was going to end up saying a better word for it than empty is academic and for that I went back, I'm sorry to offend people who don't like him, to <coughs> Clement Greenberg in the Bennington seminars, which I remembered he was just super about academic. And Greenberg says, look, it doesn't surprise you, something that's academic, he wanders through several pages, and it's really smart. Uh, and he's not saying it's nothing, he's just saying it's academic. Let's call it that. And I think that's a great term for a Byron Kim. And he says, you know, it doesn't surprise you. It doesn't surprise your expectation. It demands nothing of your taste. It's safe art. That's what he ends up by saying. It's safe art. Now, I'm willing to say more about this. I think other people have painted clouds, you said, Constable, with great interest. If you want to talk about the relationship between abstraction and representation. My God, look at artists. That's one of the most interesting passages in all art, right? If it's, um, if it's Mondrian, if it's Kandinsky, and if it's just, as we saw him, Gorky, up at Hausenworth a few weeks ago. That tension, mm. when you're in there, none of that here. And then conception on Kawara. That was, a, I'm not, I, I was not enthusiastic about it, but boy, Jeffrey Weiss's show was well installed, and it made you see the obsessions, the necessity for this man of doing it. I saw, no, it's like a game with Kim. There seems no necessity at all. And the words, if you If it was quoted, a game, it would be better. You, yeah. <coughs> well, you perhaps, quoted, however, he is uh, saying, I feel is. like Bob Ross. That was the wisest yes. thing he said. Can you imagine the inscription on 9-11, too sad for words. I mean, that is embarrassing. Mm. Absolutely embarrassing. Maybe he's the Onkawara for the sort of snowflake generation. There's a kind of, um, kind of millennial blah going on in the... Nope. Uh, but I think, actually, Alex, um, what, what maybe Ken and Svetlana are missing, and I'm failing sufficiently to <laughs> savor, is that... Um, if this really is, and I believe he, he is uh, a genuine conceptual artist, therefore, to focus on the words, the diary, is it an interesting diary, is it how Proustian is he, uh, or the paintings, uh, they're not as good as John Constable's clouds, is to miss the, the, the essence here, that, that as a conceptual, systemic, programmatic it, artist, uh, the, the art lies not in the individual painting or text, but in some superstructure, uh, the, the endeavor and the, um, uh, the, the, the enacting of that endeavor, the seeing through, the consistency, the structure, in other words. Should we view this, should we try to, should, should we, do we get the best out of this artist and exhibition? Um, 
by, by experiencing the work structurally or are we entitled to break in and try to extract aesthetic and literary experience from the actual paintings and the actual words? I, I, th I think you sort of have it on the head, which is that, you know, these works, certainly these works are not about, you know, being the best cloud, as you say, not the best cloud painting, not the best diary on a canvas, et cetera, et cetera. And, you know, I, I disagree that there's, there's certainly not millennial paintings in the sense that they are not made by a millennial. Right. But I do think that th what that conjures for me that I think is relevant is that I think they're paintings for our time. Mm. And if they have a degree of banality, I don't think we need to read it as failure. In a way, I think this is the kind of art that you sort of can't assess on those levels because even though, you know, okay, he's painting a sky, it's a bit more open to aesthetic readings. And yet I think at the same time, again, if there's a banality that enters in, and I think this is true of um, what Ken sort of brought up, his sort of career-making work, the synecdoche paintings, which I don't see as humorous at all. I think that, you know, all of Kim's work has been very earnestly involved with exploring certain issues. Mm -hmm. And I think any time they have fallen short by our sort of aesthetic criteria, it, you know, has been because in a certain sense it's redolent of the times that they are addressing. Tell me why it's not academic. It seems to me a perfect definition of academic art. And that's okay. There's been a lot of okay academic art. But I don't think we should rise it above that. We should say that's what it is. This is just okay. And it's going to sell and people are going to like it and critics. I mean, this is a recognized man. He's high in the profession. But it is academic. Define to me why I'm wrong to call it academic. I don't think you're wrong. Uh, okay. Well, one, okay, one, one reason why one would hesitate to describe okay, anything as, as academic is mm -hmm. because we no longer have a notion of avant-garde. But see, I mean... Uh, Sorry, but that, that well, but take, take me Alex that was one. Yeah. building up to something, I think. Uh, well, yeah, I was just going to... I, for me, there was a sort of other half of the sentence, which is to say that I don't think you're wrong to describe it as academic. I think your reasoning, again, is, is correct within that structure. But again, I think that, you know, Kim is sort of trying to speak from his experience. Or, and I think that that has been academic in the sense that he's been, you know, a well-known pedagogue for many years, teaching at Yale, so on and so forth. And... I mean, for me, actually, a bigger question was I was very curious about the status of these paintings sort of moving from what, you know, they sort of seem to be as diaristic in the sense also of, you know, I don't, I don't know if they had, I know that he's shown them before the press release sort of said that, but, you know, they, they seemed like they were probably conceived in a sort of private space of the studio mm. and that clearly there was some reasoning and one could be cynical about that, but I don't know if we need to be necessarily about why they ended up leaving the studio, um, you know. And I don't know, it's in a certain way, I think this is maybe a bigger problem with art today in general, which is that, you know, these great sort of impetuses that drove, you know, modernist painting, even in the 60s, they just don't exist anymore. So, mm -hmm. and I think part of that mourning is, is present in Kim's work. A bit work. of desperation. He wishes a bit of maybe that, right. you know, the monochrome could convey something yep. that it just can't, you know? And so even if you put a loaded content, like for yeah. example, skin color, or he, his last show, James Cohen, was a bruises, bruises yeah. you know, it's loaded content and yet, 
you know, again, it speaks to this sort of saturated world we live in where these things just don't have, you know, whereas for someone, if they had painted, as I think maybe actually there are a few examples, you know, skin color as monochrome in, in say, the 60s, much more sort of provocative in that context. And so again, you, it's, it's about a, It's time. academic in the sense of being a very smart and yes. um, academy-driven, um, you know, intellectual circles-driven conflation of Yeah, um, you'll be in a million group shows, and, right. and right. you'll be in a million right. panels, and... Right. And I don't know. I mean, it would be nice to think that it began as a very personal series, but, you know, he did it... For, it just yeah, but you guys very but, but, calculated. But to you're, me. you're you're not. I wouldn't. That's there's a, a failure to engage in the superstructure if you keep going into um, the assumption that it's that they're painterly paintings because they're about clouds, that it's diaristic because it's his diaries. Th those are just the found objects, aren't they? Those are just the materials, the art. Do you take those away? I don't know what's left. I, I what's left? You don't take them away. You leave them there. But what's what what is not what's left, but what else yes, is the but superstructure? What's the essence of it? What's the essence of the what's project? What's the superstructure? Then? Is the series? I mean, there was a the guy who's a, who's a Opalka who painted numbers. Yeah. Well, that's why Bob, he that, was so that bright. Had a, that had a very structured... When he said, some days I feel like Bob Ross, and I said, for once, Byron Kim, you've hit it on the head. Remember Byron? So Remember if him? If, if he was painting by numbers. He's exactly right. He felt a little embarrassed. Well, I thought you're right. Today, you're right. Yes, but if he had written one day, I feel like uh, Onkawara, or if I feel like We would say you're wrong. We'd say uh, you're wrong. You'd say, you're dead right. That's exactly what no, you're doing. You're giving us a repetition wrong. of what itself no, was, in fact, not a pretentious and sterile conceptual no. exercise. No. But you're adding to it the, at least, a little bit of kind of painterly humor. So you found this show satisfying. Is that what you're saying? Um, I hate the show, but... <laughs> but you hate but, it? Uh, yeah, <laughs> I hate the show... But I, I pride myself on hating it for the right reasons. You guys are not even, <laughs> are not even seeing it. Um, um, but I, uh, what is so great about Onkawara? But the right reason is an academic reason. I mean, like any artist, anybody who's come of age since the 60s or 70s yeah. has some kind of serial project. Yes. I remember Jerry Saltz said he failed as an artist, but his initial impulse was to paint Dante's Inferno for, for 25 years. Yes. Now, who, I, I don't know why anybody would decide to do, some, do this thing when they're in their 20s and keep doing it until they're in their 60s. I, I just, you know, it seems absurd to me. No, with I mean, if it, if it really was Ron absurd, Kawara. it would be yeah. great. But, but Ankara is impressive for the absolute obsession. I mean, in other words, there it is not, a, I said game. He made beautiful objects. And he made quite wonderful objects. I mean, there's, the a, there's a loving, there's on, a, there's, there's, right. I mean, right. The, thank I mean, you. Absolutely. Not, that's nothing, I, I would. I would. No, I mean, Ankara's, they're beautiful paintings, and, and everything he did was, was done with this kind of. Meticulous and care. Uh, yes, it's obsessive, and and it's, it's obsessive, and it's obsessive. In, a, in a way. But obsessive Kim isn't the virtue in itself. It's just a character. He's playing it's just a an obsession. It's appalling. I mean, why doesn't somebody call him on it? I think people in the art world, I mean, I can say it. I, I'm tangentially related to this world. Why is this man have such positions of authority? What Maybe academic is the answer. I hadn't thought about it as a literal thing, mm -hmm. that this is a man of the academy. He, I he thought swims of it as in a, a sociological stream yeah, right. very adeptly. Right. Mm. So, right. Mm. I mean, I, I, 
I, yeah. Is it but I, I see what you're saying, David, that, yes. that, that, you know, that, that the quality of the painting and the quality of the writing are not what's at issue. That's right. But That's right. then I'm left with the, the, the sort of, I don't know, the project doesn't seem very interesting to me. Well, that's conceptual art, yeah. <laughs> no, well, no, conceptual, art, conceptual art, art can be interesting. interesting right? Yeah. It can anyway, be interesting. Um, I think it's a good point to bring in our audience because we've got two shows that, that do raise some, some deep issues. And um, uh, so glad you we can... Let's try... Let's, do we have a roving mic? Oh, we do. I'm Great. So Great. This young man is oh, the roving mic. Um, Jim, before you jump in, can I just ask you if you were going for um, yes, Kim or, or, or McCall? I'll go for Kim. Okay. Well, let's start with Kim, but let's go back to McCall then. Let's, um, let's, let's continue the discussion on, Bri- on Byron Kim. Yes. Yeah. Actually, I, I really like the show, and um, I think the, one of the things that needs to be said is those paintings fail. Hmm. They, like, I think it's important that they're not constable. If they were constable, it, would, it wouldn't make sense. And I think what this is, and to maybe back up over to the central theme of uh, academicism, um, when I teach, uh, I find one of the really big, difficult questions for students is what to paint. And I think uh, with this moment, contemporary moment, where imagery is all over the place and imagery is, is um, uh, becoming more and more how people think, rather than a type of abstraction where there's an emptying out, uh, there is such anxiety about what to paint, even more than how to paint. Right. And I think, if I recall, these paintings uh, were begun by Kim with this question, like, like I want to paint, but what do I paint? So I think it, it, was, it was something which, it, which I think was a genuine, um, uh, a genuine emotion and reaction to a difficult problem which I think is, is very, very common uh, in schools and people mm-hmm. who want to be artists but they don't know what to do. And I think he engages it. Okay, so uh, it's academic, Jim. You're not arguing I'm, I'm, I'm it's giving, not academic. I'm gi- I'm, You're just I'm saying, you, I'm, I'm, I like it. No, I'm, ju- I'm saying that no, there, I think there is, I'm not saying it's academic the way you are. I'm saying it, it, it actually addresses an, a, an issue <laughs> with, 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 with young artists. And with that, uh, by making these paintings, and it's a type of putting uh, yourself out there as a, as a person first and an artist yeah. second. And yeah. that's what is Thank the, you. Yeah. and you guys may not, not like it because it is Jews <laughs> mastery, and it's supposed to do that. And there's supposed to be the, these, you know, Human, experiential. They're not. He's not. He's not being a grand person. This. This is a. This is a diary, not in an elegant way. It's a di- diary in a way of, I think what what you guys are saying that it's it feels empty, and I think that's its value. Yeah, because I think it raises this question of, you know, 
They, is there a room for calculated failure? You know, does it always, especially because I think we expect abstract God, painting, so especially abstract art, you know, to aspire to move. And, and I, you know, I, I think it's somewhat of an open question. I find it very interesting. I think a lot of, as you sort of are saying, I think a lot of younger artists are embracing that as one strategy because of this, you know, question with so, ma so much having both been done in the past and also with such access to that knowledge, you know, provided by the internet, then what to paint. And so, you know, if you can't okay. succeed and be on Kawara, maybe, you know, f that well, failure then, uh, is that's interesting. That's fine, we're gonna have a lot of lack of success, but let's call it lack of success, Jim. Not saying he's really onto something. What you're saying is he's onto something because there's really nothing to be onto. Okay, but it I think it's a bad time for painting, though we do have Kathy, painting along and she's doing it as well as she ever did so you can still paint i think he's giving up when it's not necessary and i don't see why we should say salut because he's on to something i mean you seem to not, say Alec, you agree with what jim's saying you yeah. think that there's a deep truth about the situation manifest by byron kim is that what you're saying this is true to our time I'm saying that I do think it is a problematic, which we see sort okay. of endemic, which is the the lack of hey. power that images have. I mean, it's true even if we think of the news cycle, you know, images okay. are drained of, I mean, this I think is no sort of controversial thing to say, you know, these, you know, it's sort of how do you give things power when obviously, yeah. you know, the abstract expressionists and, you know, they sort of had almost too much energy to corral. Mm. And then even, you know, by the 60s, people were wondering, well, how do we retain this? And I think that there's also this question, and maybe one could say, okay, it's a bad time for painting, but also it's like painting will go on. Mm. So then what do you do? Because you're not going to just wait for 40 years to well, then paint Well, he could just stop. Uh, panelists, could panelists, stop. We've, we've, we've had an hour of ourselves, and these, this, this great audience has, <laughs> has about five minutes. Include, no, 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 Jim. Uh, Jarrett, <laughs> give the mic to Jarrett, please. No. No, Jim. <laughs> give the mic to Jarrett, please. Hi. Um, I just have a, a, a request, which is um, I'm not actually that interested in the judgment part of it, but like, if you could imagine what you would like about it if you liked it. Like, is there any ma material or conceptual quality that would be interesting to to meditate on rather than just there's, there's one moment I was reading a line where he said a lot of it's about being a, so a soccer dad and uh, uh, and at one point he says I I'm afraid that one of his kids I forget which one is turning into a brat and I thought that's interesting because there's there's very little personal exposure but but well, if you have if you ever have children, you know what what he's talking about. And I thought I, you know, it it I don't I still don't understand this because there's everything about it is sort of saying this is authentic, this is me, you know. I just do these on Sunday just for me. It's not you know. No, he's playing the fool. No. Of course he's playing. Had the probing conversation it's about fundamentally our relationship. Is what you're That's saying. That's what he says about his wife. Had probing conversation about our relationship. Who ever has a probing conversation with the person you're sleeping with or in love with about a relationship? Whoever could make that up? <laughs> I mean, it's an extraordinary statement. person who could make it up is a person who's not really writing a diary, but who's Pretending to write a diary. Deconstructing the notion of a diary. No, he's not with doing the, that. He's no. playing with the no. notion of painting the No, not that smart. He's, the, he's, he's, 
The project is bigger than its individual parts. The individual parts are of no consequence whatsoever. It's only the project it's that the has opposite. weight. Which is, which is why I, I, or no. James likes it, I don't, but we both understand it. And I think Alex as well. That is, you, you don't go in and you don't have to read the bloody entries. Just you read two or three, you get the impression that the guy's a, not a good writer and he's got, not doesn't have an interesting life. You've got it. That's okay. How about it's not just, a good artist? It's just script. You don't need to look at each cloud. He's and not say, a good artist. What's get going that for cloud him? Going? No, it's not about the clouds. It's not about the diary. It's about the project. It's conceptual art. Uh, yes, sir. Wait for the mic, if you. Will. Oh no, this is the mics at the back. Okay. So, yeah. Sorry. Let's follow the mic. <laughs> yeah, about the, uh, the Byron Kim. The, the first thing I thought of when I saw the work was uh, Peter Dreyer and his um, decades-long project of painting a, a single glass of water every single day. Right. Mm -hmm. And um, the idea that, you know, this kind of, this kind of long-term serial project, it starts out, you know, okay, that's kind of an interesting idea. And then, you know, as it mounts up, it's, you know, okay, that's kind of boring. But then suddenly the, the boredom of it it um, compounds upon itself, and then suddenly the fact that it's so boring becomes kind of interesting. Exactly. No, in those paintings, every, he's actually looking at a glass of water right. every day and actually painting it. Right. Well, I think Byron Kemp is looking it at the sky. No, he never looked at the sky once. Oh, he looked at the sky. I don't believe it. That's libelous. That's he looks a at lie. the sky every Sunday. He doesn't <laughs> make a great painting, sky? but at least he's looking at the sky. I mean, <laughs> making it up. That's yeah. right. No, at so, least he's at least looking at the internet. Come on. But you're, I <laughs> the mean, weather channel. Well. A, there was a gentleman at the front. Let's have him, and then I'm afraid we will have to uh, turn our attention to the other two shows. Um, you know, I'm looking at the two uh, shows, and I'm trying to pull them together. Right. And, and I think, you know, the first show, um, I was thinking about Jerry Ulsman. Jerry? Jerry Ulsman, a photographer he was in the 60s, who had done, used seven enlargers to make one image. I don't know if you're familiar with him. But he'd make one image by using seven enlargers and masking. And it was a very complex mechanical process. And a couple of years ago, I saw him speak, and now he uses computers. And his work is totally flat now. It, it lacks the, mm. the depth that came with that process of learning how to do it. And right. when I looked at the first projections, I was starting to think about that. Mm. And then this, this, you were saying there was no avant-garde. And I believe that what this represents is that the banal is the avant-garde. And I think the question is, is if that's so, mm -hmm. is the banality being the avant-garde enough as artists to, to justify where we see ourselves as in a society today? I feel that we're failing as a society and as artists because we're accepting this as the avant-garde. And we're saying this is good enough. And I think you're right, it's academic. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a thing you can may give maybe a first year student. And you say, go do something totally banal. And they go do it. And, and then they discuss it and they say, well, that's interesting. you know, But it doesn't necessarily mean that we as a society that are facing so many complex issues can accept this. I think it's not good enough. I think as people, this is not good enough. And we have to say, we have to do better. Because okay. this is not acceptable. As far as I'm concerned, this is not acceptable. Okay, we'll, we'll convey the message to Byron Kim. Thank you <laughs> very I, much indeed. Can I just uh, say one thing? No, okay, Just, just sure. one short sure. comment, which is I just think it's very interesting that his very boring, quote unquote, paintings have incited such a discussion. Um, and I really mean that, and I don't know if that makes them good or not. But it makes I think them academic. It's very interesting <laughs> that yes, people are so riled up. No, no, absolutely.
I'm, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, but I'm going to have to move on because we do have quite a lot of uh, program to cover. But thank you. Wait till the next interval and um, roll the thought over into the next two shows. So, um, uh, projection booth, we're ready to take a look now at our second movie. The motifs in the works of Catherine Murphy are disarmingly prosaic, often bound by studio, kitchen, porch, yard. There are pies and pie crusts, floating water toys, a work jacket on a chair, piles of books, broken crockery and old-fashioned wallpaper, both sporting similar floral decorations. Any sense of domestic calm is quickly offset by realization of the work's intensity and oddity. Factors underwritten, one could say, by a combination of fastidious detail and incongruous scale, augmented occasionally by questioning of medium. There's a drawing of a canvas lying on strewn drawings, a painting of a drawing in process pinned to a board. This is the artist's first show since the publication of a monograph on her work by John Yao, with a preface by this evening's panellist, Svetlana Alpers, who writes there, The art of Catherine Murphy is, can one write it, as American as apple pie. Unlike Europeans, who work out of a long tradition of painting, she makes it look as if she invented hers from the ground up. Though she has a taste for the art of the past, Murphy insists on seeing and making it new, Many of her works can be described as still lifes, but they have little to do with the formidable Dutch and American precedents. They are brave and they are fierce. In the entrance foyer to JTT Gallery's exhibition of Jamian Giuliano Villani, Ten Pound Hand, visitors find themselves surrounded by graffiti, both on and off canvas with a company logo impressed on the soiled white carpet underfoot. Robbie, the printing firm founded by the artist's father in 1978 and now also run by her brother. This is Giuliano Villani's second solo show with JTT. A large canvas partially blocks passage to the main part of the gallery. Her show includes an assortment of fairly large, flat, graphic, high-chroma, pop-influenced, collage-like paintings, all dated 2018. These have titles that include Penis Breath, Shut Up, The Painting, Gone With The Wind, and Bacon Boy, presumably not a reference to this evening's speaker on the review panel, although the recent date of the painting, for a show that opened January the 11th, might make one wonder. Peoples is a portrait of the rap artist Paul Wall. So, um, Catherine Murphy, uh, for whom you wrote uh, the preface for her recent book, as, as, I, as I mentioned, uh, you've given her as an instance in these difficult times for painting of um, a heroic battler in that medium. Um, I'm, I'm surprised there's such difficult times for painting uh, we were always told that either the painting is dead or it's a difficult time for painting, um, but Blick doesn't seem to have any trouble shifting paint and canvases. Um, uh, everyone I know seems to be a painter. Um, 
is, is it such a difficult time for painting? Why, is, is it conceptually a difficult time for painting? Is it commercially a difficult time for painting? Or is it technically a difficult... What, in, at what specific level is it a difficult time for painting? And how, and how does that reflect, uh, Svetlana, in the work of uh, Kathy Murphy? I, I don't think Kathy I Murphy. said it was a difficult time for painting. Oh, you're, oh. You're, putting, you're saying, why would I explain this? I think it's a perfectly good time to paint. There are painters who seem to be having difficulty. Catherine is not. <laughs> but I'm not, I mean, pa the painting is dead. Mantra goes back to the late 19th century, and it's repeated again and again and again and again. And I think as long probably as European civilization, I cannot speak for India, Australia, and the others of our global world, painting will go on. I'm not worried about painting. It's fine. And Catherine is somebody who shows mm. that indeed it can be fine, but she's a huge independent. And in fact, going around when I went to the opening, people were explaining, well, really, this is minimalist. Well, of course, she has close friends who mm -hmm. are abstract or minimalist painters, but she is actually, although that's, she knows that work, she's actually looking at the world. And dare I say, the difficulty doing that in America is really Duchamp. Duchamp made it almost impossible to trust the eye. And there are many good painters who came along without that trust. She goes on and does it despite the American mistrust of trusting to the eye. And she just goes ahead and does it. That's more important to me than minimalism. When I walked into the show, I thought, gosh, how does this compare to the show? Or was it five years ago? I can't remember when the previous one was, also at Peter Freeman's. And then I thought that's not really a question to add. Ask, we're looking at the kind of enterprise of a woman at the height of her powers, and we want to see what's she doing with it. I think that first painting on the left when you come in, which is a cherry pie, is is really at the heart of the whole show. And it's hung just there when you turn around on your left. Mm. Not the not those two pies there, but the one that's across oh, from it. Way, yes, it's yes. the cherry pie, right? Mm. And uh, it's got everything. It is, uh, it's huge, 38 by 45 inches. First of all, you have to confront the sheer size. Also, you have to go up and look at it. Everybody at the opening was walking around and sort of regarding the paintings. But these are things to look at closely. Go up and see how it's made. How did she do the metal? It's one of those cheap throwaway pie dishes in which the cherry pie is. How did she paint the edge of that? It's also um, cut in. It's, not, it's not, not the pie. The pie is also cut. But you don't see the whole pie. You only see part of it. It's a layered painting. She's a painter of layers, and she's also a flat painter. She accepts the flatness of the surface on which she works. And it seems to me I care about that a lot in painters going right back in time. I'm uh, less that's, interested. That's why I want to stop and, and, and yes. ask you and also the other panelists yep. whether it's actually the flatness of the surface on which she's working that she accepts or whether in fact it, it is a flatness of vision born of photography. What, what, why why well, is what's, this work? What did you say about photography? Uh, yeah, you know, when you go... <laughs> um, <laughs> photography, yes. It's got nothing to do with photography. Well, it may not have anything to do with... Pho uh, no, um, flatness and our view of the world as being flat in painted images when we oh. walk through the world and see that, in fact, it's not fat, it's three-dimensional, no. is conditioned by our being descendants of the 
auf der Gär. No, it's considered the canvas is flat, dear David. Oh, and artists have been working on flat surfaces and accepting them from Velasquez right on. The flatness is part of what an artist works on. We didn't need, they didn't need a photograph, photograph to show them that. I mean, that's ridiculous. No, Your it's time not ridiculous. It's not true. I stand by no. the conviction that one would never have seen a painting that looks like a Catherine Murphy before the invention of the camera or indeed the computer screen. To that... Cezanne is flat. Svetlana of course he's not flat. They're all about volumes. He, he, Cezanne is about the dichotomy of the flatness of the surface But and the, the volumetric maybe of, of the petit sensation that he's having. We talk about the painting that she did of the flat screen television. There, yeah, maybe like without that. debating yeah, whether or not like she's influenced by... I don't like by that painting, yeah. Oh I think the Trompe-Loy, I would say the Trompe-Loy paintings <laughs> are the weakest paintings in the show, okay. that deer on the surface. Okay. She doesn't the need that. Is about three quarters of the paintings in the show, so no, that's no. a little unfortunate. Those are the two that pick it out completely. Okay. But look, let me say something else. We're getting on to the wrong thing. What's extraordinary no about wrong the... Thing. About the, it, well, the discussion goes the way it goes, and Alex has brought up the, the screen. Now, you may not like the screen, <laughs> but Alex has brought it up, and I want to hear about the screen. What does the screen tell us? Well, I wanted to bring it up because I thought maybe it would be a way... Um, I Make wanted to hear what you thought. Svetlana is impossible. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. But, but yes, I mean, maybe you just don't like that painting, and maybe yeah, I don't. because of... The fact that there's a screen in it, I don't know. But um, anyway, I thought that maybe it would be apropos because we don't have, we wouldn't have to debate whether or not she's influenced by photography to nonetheless think about, okay, she's depicting a screen, a photographic technology. Mm -hmm. And so what does that mean for her painting? And what does it sort of tell us about her project more broadly? Yeah. Because I agree with you that in the sense that, for example, Degas uh, was influenced by the cropping of photography, mm -hmm. if not the space per se, mm -hmm. though you could say that photography very readily can have a painterly Japanese space. Japanese prints were also... Certainly. Okay. But I think, again, the cropping element. So, you know, she has the cropping element and... Um, that sense in which we focus so intensely on something that, and again, maybe this is the quote-unquote minimalism of her work, that that sort of intensity, and I think it connects her, for example, to Sylvia Plymouth Mangold, who I feel like is a but similar look, yeah. But look, sort of we're aesthetic. moving away. Let's, let me say one other thing about that cherry pie. Yes. It is a destructive painting. Mm. Let, what she, she is not, somebody said in the opening, oh, it's beautiful, transcendent, I've used those words. But before you use them, you have to see the destructions, the really, um, the, the pain of exper one experience in the world that is central to all her work. And that's much more important than photography. That pie, some rap guy said, you know, violence is so American, it's American as cherry pie. That pie, that bloody red mess of cherries, is real, real Catherine. That is that sense and all that nice uh, 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 inner tube and those floaters going away, we tend to color everything sort of nicely to get away from the difficulties and misery of it. And look at the books. Is this a celebration of reading? That's a very puzzling painting. It's certainly not saying, it's called stacking. It's not called reading. And look at the titles. It's really a very puzzling painting. It's not saying, oh, go read a book. Right? Ken, it's do you think the color of the cherry pie is the color of somebody 
who's really looked at cherries. Um, no, it's about blood. Is your name Ken? It's I'm, about I'm asking blood. Ken. <laughs> Ken, can I bring you in? If, um. <laughs> no, I think that I think what's going on in, in most of his work has to do with framing, like f- that that you have images within images. She's mm-hmm. always she often paints windows, so you have inside and outside. Yeah. <laughs> so the, she's very much about the flatness of the modernist painting, but also about the possibility of entering into imaginal spaces that are mm-hmm. often nested within each mm-hmm. other, mm-hmm. like like the flat screen TV, you have, you know, you have the TV and then you have that, that illusory space. And the other, so she's as much about illusion as about um, yeah. uh, abstraction. I'd say this, that I really like Catherine Murphy um, as a person and admire her as an artist. The energy and the commitment and the intellect at play in this work, I find to be really awe-inspiring. I've never understood the work and I've never really enjoyed the work, but I, I still attend to it with um, curiosity. Um, and what in particular really gets me is the sealed-in totality and flatness of the work, the anti-painterly quality of the work. It's not flat, and to me, that comes from being saturated in the, the visual logic that is uh, uh, crucially... Um, a post-camera. It is, it is, it is a photographically informed uh, logic. I don't think anybody of their own accord looking at a cherry pie and using paint to evoke a cherry pie would produce something as, as pictographically kind of flat as, as Catherine does and, and as sealed in without the philosophical um, weight of living in the age of the camera. Look at Velasquez or look at Vermeer, neither of whom had the camera, and the camera obscura was not for Vermeer. We have had great painters, great ones, Mm. in the Western tradition. Velasquez is a perfect one. There is no background in Velasquez. It's all. The Meninas is an exception in a kind of game. But if you look at the spinners, Velasquez is surface, surface, surface. Look at the gesture with that gray surface behind him. This is a man that feeling for the surface you're painting on goes deep, deep, deep in the Western tradition. It's wrong to make the camera responsible for it, David. It's just wrong. It's not historical. That's not Western painters like Velasquez. We're surface painters. It's extraordinary. So that people ask, well, didn't he know the camera? That's a curious thing about Western painting. And you could say the same thing about her. I understand why. But it's not, doesn't get us anywhere with understanding the power and the interest of those paintings to keep saying the camera. It doesn't. Well, I respond to your question in a slightly different way because I, it resonates with something that I felt perhaps perversely connected Catherine Murphy to Jamie and Giuliana Villani, which is that um, <clears throat> I think that you're right to make this distinction about, you know, Velasquez. And yet I found that what was interesting to me is that I expected when I, because I had not personally seen a Catherine Murphy painting before this, mm-hmm. um, this show, and I was sort of expecting to get in close and see a sort of pleasure, a fracture and making. So when, I, when you say sealed in, 
I really saw that in the same sense, which is that, you know, traditionally in painting, I think you either have the sort of perfection of surface of, say, a David, yes. you know, or Ang, and then you have, on the other hand, you know, someone like Velasquez or Manet, who reveals so much through the tactility and the facture of the making of the painting. Right. And then <clears throat> with both Villani and Murphy, I felt that the flatness sort of continued, and I... I think this is actually something they use in an interesting way, which is that they don't sort of create a graphic image, let's say, and then up close it sort of dissolves into beautifully executed brushstrokes. Both of them sort of maintain neither the perfect finish of, let's say, you know, old master painting, nor do they sort of reveal the making of the image. They give you this sort of in-between, this, in, you know, I think in Villania's work it's, you know, it reminds you of airbrush, you know, um, technique and things like that. And in, in Murphy, for me, this is perhaps the sort of photographic aspect, which is that it seems to sort of be, you know, more about recording and contextualizing and, and focusing the event on the canvas rather than trying to give you some sort of painterly mm. sort of orgasm, so to speak. Right, right. But, but I think, you know, you have to, like... It's not just, she's not just painting something she's looking at. She's like, construct, there's constructed situations. Mm -hmm. They're framed very mm -hmm. specifically. So like the, 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 the one with the broken crockery and the wallpaper, the same pattern on, the, on both mm -hmm. roses yes. or something. Yes. So she's... It's a conceptual game in a way. Yeah. And I think that's, that is really interesting dimension of, of her work. And that's it's why the Byron Kims of the world need to know that conceptual art didn't invent conceptual games. <laughs> that the conceptual games, you go right back into the history of art. You're all skating on the surface. Look at that grass, that woman clasped, that black painting with those frightening Gloves. Black gloves on hands and everything. I mean, this there's a poetry to her painting which has to do with the subject. You are all thinking about it as some kind of concoction. That it comes as close as any of the paintings in that show, I think, to Elizabeth Bishop, her favorite poet. And that made me think of that great poem, The Man, the, the Man Moth. Mm. That's Elizabeth Bishop taking the misreading of Mammoth in the Times and writing a whole poem. That is a really no, mysterious, extraordinary painting. And what we have to talk about is what she's choosing to depict. You're talking about, well, it's flat, it's conceptual, and this. She's again and again going at simple things in her world, and they are all in her world. This is domestic studio world, outside yes. or inside, at a pitch of curiosity and really detonating feelings about what we live in. It's got nothing to do with what's her name on Christie Street. This is serious engagement with the kind of world and the experiences we have. The first artist You're really this evening we've done. You're permitting yourself a reading yeah, that, you, that you almost crucified Ken for bringing to, we, to... We were talking, the, uh, because McCall. of the top, because photography came up, then yes. we were talking about them technically formally, but a lot, but they are metaphorically loaded. Yeah. You know, the violated cherry pie. The I'm sure she oh, has. Oh, come on. You, cherry pie is just asked to be, uh, you violate a cherry pie by not eating it. <laughs> I don't think the cherry pie is going to be too upset if you eat it. I mean, uh, really? It's, it's a, a gory interior. That oh, is a gory right. interior. 
uh, you know, the black gloves and the in the. Oof. It's a very kinky painting, but it it has a it has a beauty of a kind of Edwin Dickinson, doesn't it? The, the, no, the, it's an air of death about it. It's a but doomed you know, painting. On the subject of and the subject of uh, before you segue the, the subject yes. of is it a good time for painting? Right. Oh, a lot of people think myself among them that Catherine Murphy is an American master. You know. Right. You know how many museum shows she's had? Not enough. One. Right. Well, Byron Damien Kim is... Vil- what's her name? Is going to have three museum shows before Catherine does. Yeah. Well, this is a, the, the debate is, is it a good time for museums? I mean, painting <laughs> is doing very well. But it's a very bad time for anybody who wants to spend a lot of time making a painting. Right. Yes. Or right. uh, who thinks yeah, that paint painting eight paintings, can be... But by January 11th for your show, and yes. you're in, right? right. That's what she did. Who thinks that painting Ten. can be really complicatedly layered, formally, technically, and metaphorically. Right. These uh, are very layered paintings, and that, yeah, and, and that is a, a cause for celebration and admiration, for sure. And, I, you know, there are people who want them, to, not paint, want them to have more painterly uh, uh, sizzle. Mm. You know, I don't know why... Well, let's compare for a moment to say Lois Dodd. Um, Lois Dodd also paints the stuff around her. And she's um, a wonderful she, painter, but it's a different kind of painter. Yeah, it's a more painterly painter. Why? We don't have oh, to well, but it's just different. Well, I think it's, it's good to compare them because of, of, of some similarities and some massive differences. And um, I, think, I think if you... I think people who tend to really get into the one might have some... Yeah. Disappointment with the other. And Lois and paints a painting a day. She paints fast. I mean, if we want to talk about fast painting. It's a la prima, yes. She does. It's, yep. it's, it's painting, but it's also painting that really breathes, um, that it, it's, it's really volumetric. And it's at the same time also very flat because it's the painterliness is. Uh, I don't is how, know how this helps us look at. I, I don't think looking at the two of them together. David is a very useful project. You could bring her up and we could say, yeah, she's a good painter too. But I don't think comparing right. them is very, advances I, I, looking very much. It, it advances looking because I just want to get to terms with this, this I, I use the term again, the sealed in, the finish, the, the extreme finish of these paintings is Seems um, very American to me. Like I think of Thomas Aikens. Uh, right. Uh, that's when I think... I think of Petto, is that his name? Who? The, the guy who did those um, Trump Loy paintings? She's Peter. not a Trump Loy painter. Yeah. Well, there's a lot of Trump Loy. There's a lot of, uh, uh, no, kind of obsession not. with no. looking no. going on in these but paintings. But it's looking, Arnett not Trump Loy. William Harnett and... and it's n- she's not Pito like Pito. Pito comes to mind very much in the painting of a drawing. Now, what could be, uh, incidentally, more, in the best sense of the term, academic, than an artist who makes a drawing of a painting and hangs it next to a painting of a drawing? Well, this is actually a very important question, I think, which is, and I just, Svetlana, why is this work not academic? And I don't say this because I think it is. Because I think it's hugely surprising to go back to what, it advances your taste, it's hugely surprising to go back to the quotes I just got from Greenberg, because I wanted, I I had a hunch about academic, but I thought I should get someone writing intelligently about it, and that's what he says. I do think it... It, it does advance your taste. There's nobody quite like her, yeah. and it, it 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 is. It's surprising. It's she is that that those that um, clasped painting is simply surprising, mm. completely surprising, and not one of the clasped paintings yes. is. Yeah, mm. it's disturbing and surprising. 
No. Mm. Listen, she's not my favorite painter in the world, but she's a damn good painter. What surprises us about the, the gloves and the cherry pie and so on is the image, not the painted experience. It's more than the image than the painting in that way. I would agree with you. Yep. Yes. More in, yep. more in the image. Yeah, but well, she's not, image, you know... Image is a good segue to our next and final show. Um, <laughs> Jamie and uh, Giuliano Villani at JTT. Um, I've rehearsed the name all day because I didn't, <laughs> I didn't feel I could say, what's her name or whatever she's called on Christie Street. <laughs> but that is my guest's prerogative. And uh, as the moderator, I have to wear a tie and pronounce the names correctly. So, um, yeah... Wow. <laughs> well, do, one of the, do, do any of the three of you think this is really a marvelous painter? I don't, and I would love to hear somebody make I am a really good argument. Let's right. start with, who's, I think Alex might be the man who's... Who yeah. might, I'm very uh, interested in, in Jamian's work, and I must say that I, I know her, but I've been to her studio, mm. and I actually think it changes your view, maybe not always positively, to sort of know her personality because the personality and the paintings are sort of one thing and the fact that she's chain smoking and she's you know this tall and she's just painting 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 and drawing from all these references is sort of important to the work it's not calculated mm. it, you know gambit to have three museum shows i mean but i think that part of it is again it goes back to this byron kim question on some level which is you know again it's not painting that's aspiring to be you know the grand tradition it's it's sort of trying to be she's trying to sort of live in the firmament of you know our current situation and so this is why of course you have very odd juxtapositions of of images which she's culling from all sorts of sources mm. and yes she's painting them extremely quickly i mean she has this sort of almost insane way of just constantly thinking like we'll put the dog on the bed and then a coca-cola and like an exploding this i mean she's just somehow what is her technique is she is she projecting what how does she get the image from wherever she's culled it from onto the canvas is it, is it through free drawing? Is it through projection? Is it through printing? What's, what's I mean, her family are professional printers. Maybe she's got some insights. Do we know anybody? Do we care? Well, she's, um, Do we I know? don't think she's projecting. I mean, I don't want to say too much because I don't necessarily know. I've never seen her paint. Right. Uh, but, you know, she, she has a sort of library of very odd books that she collects. Mm -hmm. She, of course, uses the internet. I believe that she sort of paints from a sort of printed image, whether it's in a book or on yes. a sheet of paper, sort of next to the canvas. I find it very also surprising she doesn't do preparatory work. There are no or drawings or diagrams. small canvases. It's sort of all sort of in, and often paintings sort of sit in half-finished states because she thinks of three things she'd like, but then you know, she's sort of stuck, let's say. There's not a lot of correction? Is there not a lot of correction as well? They look like... absolute correction. They look like sealed-in surfaces. They look like no-nonsense. It looks like they're almost somewhere. There's somebody pressed a button and out these came. Um, <laughs> uh, Ken, um, imagery and uh, humorous titles. Uh, you're writing a book on humor. The titles are pretty funny sometimes. Um, and the, uh, the, the juxtaposition of imagery... Uh, well, it, um, we've had a lot of juxtaposition of imagery in the uh, 20th century from surrealism through postmodern pop. 
Um, this, um, uh, what, what is the, what's the nature and quality of her, her humor, do you think? Um, I don't know. I mean, I don't, I don't find the work that funny. Uh, I no. think it's supposed to be funnier than I find it. Mm-hmm. Or weirder than I find. I mean, I go. I've, I think the bacon boy, the bacon creature, is the most interesting thing in the show, maybe, or the the fat ass frog sitting on the ladder. Yes. I mean, she has sort of funny, imaginative moments. Yeah. But I I feel like when looking at the show, I thought I don't know who this person is. I don't know what she cares about. I, I mean, you you almost. The way you describe it, Alex, it's almost like it's a machine that just dials up images and sort of slams them together. And well, she has no whatever it is. She definitely has no sort of. She can't. Ex- you know, she's not going to give you a conceptual structure. And maybe it's too sort of misleading also to focus too much. Well, I don't mean conceptual. I mean on her emotional yeah. or or you, yeah. you know what's or visual what's or painterly or anything. What what's her uh, wound? Her wound. Yeah. Her wound. Good She's from New Jersey. Does that count? <laughs> okay. <laughs> right. Um, that's a, not a bad answer. I mean, right. okay. that's, that's Bruce Springsteen's right. wound. So, well, you know, you know I, these seem to be I the epitome of blah, but, yeah. but Svetlana, I mean. Well, it, it just it, seems to me to be throwaway art. I'm sorry to say that. In other words, that's my feeling about it. And I just think people will buy it. As you said, she'll have museum shows, but other people will just go along their business and she'll do this. I'm sure she'll be a success. I'm sort of sorry about that. I'm sorry I didn't like Laura Owens. I suppose you like Laura Owens. You might like, I didn't like that either. And this seems to me a minor version. I mean, Laura Owens is on a huge scale. This is just in a little, very actually nice space when you get into it on Christie Street. Yeah. And this, and Laura Owens can, you know, fill the Whitney. And this woman hasn't done that yet. Well, she's Her, young. Uh, she's I'm young. With these three And, you know, I, somebody and, uh, reminded me, and I just read it, that Wayne Tebode said, he's in town now, he's being shown, he is not, but his paintings are shown up at Aquavella, he's going to be at the Morgan, this is a whole other world. But he said, you know, he said to interviewer, you know, um, people don't want to be um, th- don't want to be painters. They want to be artists, and they want to go in the front door, not the tradesman's entr- entrance. That's a smart thing. This is a guy who was trained in advertising, who was skilled at something he could do, and he's sharp about painting and respectful of painting past. And he's saying they just want to be artists, not painters. I think that could be said about her. She's an artist. Fine, she'll have great success as an artist, but she surely is not, in my way of looking at it, a painter. And she might have great luck. It does seem to me it's kind of throwaway. But I'm limited, I agree, and I probably don't understand what's happening, but I certainly, that's just my feeling. I think that's actually true about if you, if you, in, in academe now, people in MFA programs, they, 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 they want to do, be able to do anything they want. So. So what they're really working on is developing. No tradesmen. You know, Alex Katz said, Svetlana, he calls me Svetlana, Svetlana, it takes 10 years to become a painter. He was, he was doing framing mm-hmm. back then at the beginning. It takes 10 years to become, this gal is 27, 28. She got, a, I don't think, I'm not even sure it was an MFA at Rutgers, but a BA, BFA at Rutgers. And here she is. And there, that's, you know, it shows, that says something. But the work is so boring, is it not? 
I didn't say uh, it. Any, are any of these images really startling? I mean, they, we've I don't, seen I this. Don't even, I can't look at them, so, so I can't call them boring. She's interested in shock. I think she's interested in the banality of things that should, again, I mean, for me, at the risk of saying but, two perverse things, mm -hmm. I think, one, she's more interesting to me than Laura Owens, and two, that, wow. who I think is a sort of academic painter, she's sort of, <laughs> you know, the artist that people want to see. Mm dealing with digital technology and these questions. Whereas for me, I like the rawness of Jamie and which I think is part of you know, her age, is part of her generation. And I actually think there's a lot more in common that she has, mm. my second perverse statement, mm -hmm. to Catherine Murphy yeah. than maybe seems initially. And again, it's not really to say, because I really do feel like I'm like very curious where Jamie and will go. I mean, it seems like a sort of crazy roller coaster and it's very heated, her, the sort of market and interest in her work. And yet I think, whatever we end up thinking in 10 years, 20 years, I'm very interested in this work because I think it really dials in in a way that I think Laura Owens is academically dealing with, with these questions of what does it mean to the, the way that we deal with images, that they're on the same plane and right. that they're sort of drained of affect. Yeah. And so she's throwing all these things at you. And, there, and again, you're, there's a confusion to some degree, but again, there's not. And it's about that, that sort of emptiness, the plasticity, you know, that, and I think it, there's this also a sort of unease, which is this unease of like grabbing at all these things, which I think is very much our political yeah. situation that people feel in a way across the spectrum of belief, you know, well, where are we going and what is all this adding up to? And I, I think, I think that's very, that. very wise and very nicely put, but surely, um, artists have been doing that since the 60s and, and, and pop art. What, what is, is she not just sort of like a, a smartphone answer to Jeff Koons? I mean, what, what is she, what is she actually what's she like bringing that Jeff Koons hasn't given us already? I see more David Sally in the work. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, well, but Peter David Sally is a big idol of hers to who? throw in a... Peter oh. Saul, to add oh, a sort right. of another name. Oh, well, Peter Saul is your idol? Yeah. Oh, Peter Saul is so much better. I mean, he's a completely different kettle of fish. He's a painter. He's superb, I think. Well, he's Mad Magazine rather than, and she's just a, a trade catalogue. I mean, that's, that's the difference between them. But this does seem to keep coming up, this idea, which I'm, again, resistant to, that, that somehow younger artists have to deal with the same old... I don't know. I think that no. there's something... But the other idea that's no, coming up, a new thing Alex, that's fine. is that it's art ought to be at one with its time. That's not true. This is just kind of Americans saying, oh, my God, it should be of its time. Most art was surprising in relationship to its time. To say, oh, all these or people should paint our flatness, they should paint up Trump... Stop it! Make art, make painting, well, and stop thinking that way. Tell your friend Peter way. Saul to stop painting Trump. I, when, <laughs> when, I, when I first encountered her work, I thought she had this. There was this kind of visionary kind of quality to it, and mm. like the sci-fi, otherworldly feeling. Mm. And that's where I thought she was going. Mm. Yeah. That which I thought would be really interesting. So the sort of just. Uh, doing this mashup of different kinds of images just to not make sense. Yeah. You know, that didn't... That Damien Loeb. She's like a, a peer of Damien Loeb in a way, isn't she? I mean, David Sally is so much more of the intellectual. He's, uh, David Sally to this woman is like, I don't know, Poussin to... Um, they could have been more but No, I mean, really, he's... he's, he's He's cerebral but sensual but, at but, the same time. But I think he's, he's, you know, his feeling of the deadness of, I mean, Thomas Lawson wrote about this. Yeah, the yeah. feeling of the deadness of, of this onslaught 
uh, the imagery is kind of, I think, what she might be going for. But it's, Rosenquist got that already as well. I mean, so I mean, but he had like a f- romance about that too. A little romance, Sally, a little less romance. Uh, uh, Giuliano Villani, even less. I but, mean, her, okay. her, I'd like to see. You know, so I, I want to know more about her. Actually, I mean, I think she's. I want to know how she produces that many paintings by January the eleventh, twenty eighteen, and she doesn't sleep. Them signs them all 2018 that's that's 11 days uh does she get any help either from a, sh- a machine yes, or yes, an assistant? she help. has a system she does get help i call the gallery to ask about that and oh. she does get help right she she has a s- assistant like two assistants that are she and she's constantly i mean it's really honestly true that she doesn't I, I don't know how useful it is to dwell endlessly on her biography and yet but it's true that she she just chain smokes and drinks coffee and doesn't really Okay. Sleep and just paints. She needs those three museum shows now because the retrospectives are not going to last forever. <laughs> okay. Um, audience, you've been very patient and giggling at the right moments, but I, there's a lot to talk about with both Murphy and uh, um, Giuliano Filani. So please, uh, Barbara Friedman. Um, oh, oh, sorry. Um, you know, for me, when I think of Catherine Murphy, the, the first thing that, that I think of is the, the experiential element. And that's what, you know, I found so fascinating. I, as far as I know, she works from direct observation. And she talks about that. And, you know, it's one thing if you're Lois Dodd or Josephine Halverson and you're painting, you know, quick, juicy, gestural paintings from direct observation and they're, they're quick and they're about the brushstroke and, but I mean, I, you know, Catherine Murphy, I guess, sort of like Rackstar Downs, I mean, these are incredibly time-consuming, labor-intensive paintings that I don't think are at all about the facture. I mean, they're not about the brushstroke. They're not seamless, but they're not about celebrating the brushstroke. And I guess I, I love her work and I, um, for me, it's really, um, about the intensity of the experience and she talked about that and maybe I'm getting this all wrong but as far as I remember she talked about for instance this painting she did of her husband on the garage floor and I think she, she talked about um, having him you know posing him there he, he would just return to the same spot endlessly at the right time of day and it was insane because obviously she could have taken a photograph and so it's kind of funny David that you brought up the photographic because obviously her sensibility I mean she grew up looking at photographs but these are paintings that everybody assumes are painted from photographs that are not and that's their craziness and their magic and I always ask I was just asking my students because I always you know send them very quickly to see her work and they didn't have to say respond that deeply this time which I, I just was interested by but I said well did, you know do you realize these were crazily painted from direct observation and and they didn't, I, unfortunately, I don't think they saw the difference. Like, they weren't that interested in the fact that they weren't painted from photographs. Yeah. But I, so I always wonder if that's communicated. Just like, is it communicated in Rackstraw's work? I mean, right. you know, it's just the weirdness of it. I don't she know. She does that's, use photographs. What? She does use photographs. I thought she didn't. She said she... He does. He does. Rackstraw. Oh, Rackstraw. But I, does, does well, Catherine? Because she... Does. I thought she didn't. Some. I think like, she does sometimes. Really? She... Talked about as she doesn't copy them, but she uses I thought them she as really I like, asked her once. Really? She told me, yeah. But you see, there's, a, there's an interesting distinction between painting from photographs and painting like photographs. Right, exactly. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, I know you were saying that, yeah. And I, am, I was suggesting she is very much the latter. Anyway, yeah, Barbara, thank you very much. Thank you. Anyone else? Uh, yes, there's lots of other uh, hands going up. Um, 
the, over here, there's a woman. Do, do wait for the mic if you would. Put your hand up again and, uh, yeah, please, thank Thanks. you. Yeah. Sure, I'd like to talk about both of them, maybe not comparatively, but if I did talk about them comparatively, I would say that Catherine Murphy, uh, if I wanted to think about them as both specifically just female painters, definitely deals with this kind of like domestic depression. Um, this like, the paintings of the very, I kind of hate the pies, <laughs> just like, here's the steps of how to make a pie, and this makes me a great lady woman. Um, whereas I really like the screen, um, which is really sad and depressing that she's painting the screen of trees with a closed window when she could just open the fucking window or like go outside. Um, and there's like very few actual people in the, in the paintings. Whereas the younger artists, I don't know why you have such a problem, Svetlana, with young female artists rising to it's great success. It's got nothing to do with being female. It has to be, be with being young and having no... <laughs> oh, so offensive, absolutely, sorry. as far as I can see, no training and no care for it at all. Then that's, that's what's up, the because thing I think that's kind of right. cool. She wants to be an artist, not a painter, and I don't like that. No, I don't. I think it's unfortunate. And to each her own. Um, I think it's kind of cool because it does really reflect, I think, my generation in terms of what you were saying, James, just being like saturated with images and then kind of throwing all of it at you and then not having to decide and you being like totally and radically okay with not having to decide and not being technically trained and having an opinion. And that's, um, that's really cool. Okay, so. okay cool. Fine. Thank you very much. Uh, front row here, the Jennifer Riley, uh, the red-headed lady. Thank you, woman, yeah. person. Mm, wonderful discussion tonight. Thank you, everyone. Um, just to, as our world transitions from one that is um, word-based to one that is image-based, I think Catherine is making us an interrogation of of the image in her show at in this present show and I don't think it's about a depressed woman inside the house I think the screen is about the fact well it's a cooking show and then there's some pies that she's painting so y you could go around and make links from painting to painting and it's an, an, a huge universe that she's trying to to um, well, that she's not trying to present, but that she's presenting as question and prompt for us to think about how, uh, where we are, again, my neighbor here brought it up earlier, where we are as a culture, where we are as a society, where the culture of painting is going, where it's been, and I think that's what she's up to. Thank you. Fantastic, thank you. And the gentleman behind? Okay. Um, yeah, I'm just following up on some of the conversations about uh, uh, Catherine Murphy's paintings relative to the pie, and um, also some of the conversation about the uh, notion of the flatness. And I think that some of the photographic elements relative to the flatness, I mean, if you experienced any of the older stuff from when she, which, with uh, Xavier Fourcade, um, there was a real photorealistic element, and I hate to use the term photorealism because it, this is anything but photorealistic, but there's a certain precision that she's really eased up away from, I think, in a lot of this later work. Like if you go and look at the pie, 
there's a certain congealed essence that it has or appearance that it has that is anything but flat, or I don't get that. I just get lost in these paintings and don't even think about them as being flat at all. I, I, it doesn't come into play. But I also think that what's really fascinating is her notion of the grid. And you see that with the book cases, for instance. The notion of what, sorry? The grid. The grid. Her use yeah. of the grid. And also, when she, like, I, per, I actually am curious as to why you don't like the, uh, or as much like the painting of the cooking show, because I, I don't get the same notion of domesticity from some of these things. For me, it's a bit more formal than that. But I, I do think that the grid is still there, and it's playing off the essence of inner and outer, but also the framing mechanism. Maybe that's what you're talking about relative to photography. I think one needs to make a decision how to frame something, and that, that, that occurred well before photography. Yes, definitely. No, I, I wasn't thinking in terms of the framing. I was thinking in terms of the, the saturation, the totality, and the fact that these are very, very slowly made images of a split-second moment in time, and that's what gives it, its, to my mind, its photograph-like quality. Um, but we won't that we, we're done here on the panel. I think we have time for one more comment if somebody is bursting and will be, yes, the l lady in the scarf. Uh, Catherine Murphy's work, um, it, this is uh, something that I deal with my, with my own work, so it's, it's, I would see this in someone else's work, but I thought what I, one, one of the, I, I saw two kinds of content in her work. One, one which was dealing with the reality that we uh, are living in where now there's this uh, sort of gap or, or jog between digital reality and a screen-based reality, you know, streaming media, and also the more, the way we're used to looking at things and the way we're used to looking at, you know, paintings, drawings, that kind of thing. But I, I saw references to that in her work. First, you know, primarily the screen, you know, the, the painting with the screen. Then, um, then the bookshelves, I thought, what to me the bookshelf said, even though we all have books and we all have friends who have these big stacks of books and stuff, to me there's this, uh, there's this oddness about that because so much of our information now is coming through uh, digital media of some sort um, so, the, so the books have, they aren't like books, it's not like looking at a pile of books would be 20 years ago. It's, it's a different kind of, it suggests a different space. Um, and then there's a few other references I saw to this. The, she, she had this drawing, which I thought was pretty amazing, of the extension cord. Yes. And that also um, brings into question, you know, this, this kind of thing. Um, yeah, almost all her imagery is about seeing. That's another photograph-like quality to it. Anyway, not going to be, not going to hog. Well, I, I, and I also just felt this, this gap where sometimes there was a surface and then sometimes there was something that you were looking deeper that reminded me of, of screen looking or video or s streaming media. The other thing I thought uh, I wanted to say about her work that the imagery is so... Uh, uh, female in a, in a wonderful way, and I, I hope this doesn't, you know, saying female used to be kind of a put down, but to me now it's, okay. it, it's on the equal basis with men, but a lot of the imagery was like uh, of 
it's, it has to do with the will to make something, and so you bring all parts of your being to it, but there's a number of images that I thought were like cervixes, cervixes or vaginas, or you know, the, the um, especially like the pie that's just the crust. To me, it's like, no. it's like a cervix. No. And, uh, but there were, and, no. and the woman, uh, yes. <laughs> sorry, the, the black, the black, um, black oh, image mm, with, of the woman with the, the purse and then, yep. and then the way the, the, uh, her purse goes down. And, and another thing that's like a jog in, in reality now, where is there, a, this is like a, a, primary, a primary mother image, but where is there a mother that's like that anymore? We don't, there aren't any mothers like that anymore. That's, Maybe what, what my mother was like, you but have to, you have to pay someone to be a mother like that these days. Ladies but, and gentlemen, but I think I miss, think miss, thank you very much okay. indeed. Um, ladies and gentlemen, we've got dream, two minutes to get out the building before the union goes berserk, and we're going to go across the road to One Grand Army Plaza, and you're all coming back on Monday, March the fifth. We take this off, or they take it off us. To hear know, various guests, and ears. on April the 9th, you can hear Jarrett Ernest, who's sitting here in the audience. Thank you.